0: Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Devil Edge Devil Bill. This week we're in the fantasy realm of Ponyo on the cliff by the Skeleton Man. adam thomas and thomas mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature then both would pick up between one and ten in order to seal their fates for the next episode One we'll have two good movies the other two bad ones let the chaos begin i am thomas mariani and
1: i love him i am adam thomas and in no way i'm surprised by thomas mariani's statement
0: <laughs> that's true <laughs> if the court will submit adam did not have a surprised look at all, that statement, but no, welcome everybody to the Double-Edged Devil Bill, where every week uh, Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature related to uh, you know a topic that we've decided on, though sometimes we should mention our patrons over at patreon.com slash dedbpod end up picking up the topics for us, as is the case for this particular week. Uh, where we, you know, we've done a couple episodes about fantasy films, Adam, um, but we, uh, you know, have kind of steered away from it just because we've done it twice already, so we were like, okay, if we're gonna go back to it, because, you know, fantasy's all the rage right now, given a new Game of Thrones show recently premiered, and we're soon gonna be getting a new Lord of the Rings show, we figured that maybe it's a good time to return to fantasy, and our patrons ended up going with urban fantasy as the subgenre. If you're unaware, urban fantasy basically, um, you know, the the word urban might imply that it would be in a cityscape. But basically, the rough thing we went with is a fantastical concept in, like, our reality.
1: Yeah, that's fair to say.
0: Right, yes. Uh, Because with even both of our features, they both take place in less, I would say, urban environments. I think that's fair to say as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. One takes place in, you know, on the cliffs of, like, Japan. And then the other one takes place in wherever America forest. <laughs>
0: That's totally America, not Bulgaria, where they show No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> right. Of course. Uh, but uh, Adam, are you a fan of the subgenre or are you, were you a bit daunted just at like this particular subgenre, like, like picking choices and stuff for it?
1: Yeah, it was a little bit daunting. I mean, I'm a fan of the subgenre, but, you know, it's not one that I necessarily ever even think about as a subgenre and you know there's so many movies that i've seen that i like, would fit right in there but it never pops in even things like even though because they're based on comic books but like the crow or the hellboy movies and all that would could easily be considered urban fantasy most superhero movies could really if you really wanted to but uh i, I just didn't want to go that route so it was a little bit harder i
0: mean i do like the idea generally of you know some sort of, like, fantastical creature amongst our world. I think it, like, creates a fun dynamic, or even the vice versa, of, like, a normal human inside the fantastical. Um, I think it's an interesting kind of, like, fish-out-of-water story, just of, like, hey, let's see if we can, uh, you know, get some kind of weird fun off of discovering what the fantasy world is or a fantasy creature discovering what our real world is. There's a lot of uh, potential for a story like that to either work or be tired and bad.
1: Yeah, but I mean, even the fantastical element could be something as simple as it's like our world, but it's just a little bit different. Like, I mean, you could even classify a movie we've covered before, I would say, as uh, urban fantasy as Streets of Fire. I would even consider that almost urban fantasy.
0: You could you could make that argument. I mean, the thing is, this is so nebulous, and I think it's going to show based on, I would argue, <laughs> one of ours very definitively fits into that subgenre, and the other one is about as loose as possible.
1: Okay. Yeah. Pad <laughs> barely oh, i barely. mean come on like what, <laughs> yeah.
0: what like, everyone knows like little, little fish girls exist who like go up on land and turn to like half chicken people before they turn to humans that happens all the time in our reality
1: 100 percent. but how often do you see a guy in a spirit halloween costume shoot down a helicopter with a bone arrow
0: i mean you know i just saw that the other day i'm in florida so that's a bad example
1: yeah that's true that's true except that yours are on alligators They're not riding horses.
0: (laughs) The alligators are off at the Spirit Halloween. She's
1: like, oh, I love this cloak. It'll be great for the party at Jeff's." (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they're they're shooting at meth vans, not helicopters.
0: (laughs) Right, of course. Uh, But yeah, so at the end of our last episode, we picked our uh, good and bad urban fantasy picks, and uh, we ended up with uh, your bad pick of Skeleton Man, which we'll talk about first, and then uh, my good pick of Ponyo. Uh, the uh, Hayao Miyazaki film. And I said this at the end of our last episode, but I think it's very clear. Um, if you want a real look at how bizarre the double features can possibly be on our show, this is like a key example. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. This is right up there with one of the best of them. <laughs> sure.
0: I mean, as, as we'll get into, we might as well start with Skeleton Man. Skeleton Man uh, came out March 1st, 2004, uh, not theatrically, shockingly, uh, but also not straight to video either. This is a TV movie.
1: Also not the original title either.
0: Uh, that's true, yes. Originally, the, the film was uh, in production as Cottonmouth Joe, uh, mm-hmm. which they took that away from director Johnny Martin's vision, and they went with <laughs> Skeleton Man- instead. (laughs) Damn studio involvement. This is a made-for-TV movie, which we haven't covered in a while on the show. We used to... We've covered a couple, but it's been a very long time. Uh, We usually stick more to On the Edge Irrelevance or, like, media discussion stuff on the Patreon for that at this point. Um, But, this is uh, also a sci-fi channel original movie. Not Seafy. Straight up sci-fi channel. Uh, Which, you know, I have a bit of an admitted, like, weakness for a bad sci-fi channel original movie in terms of I don't know how many times I was either watching Comedy Central or Sci-Fi Channel, particularly on, like, a weekend afternoon, and I didn't have anything to do as a kid, and I would just watch these, like, terrible fucking movies that Sci-Fi Channel either, like, either bought or made (laughs) and somehow thought was good enough to release on their fucking channel. And there, there, there was a distinctive quality of badness to these kind of movies.
1: Uh, by badness, you mean badassness.
0: That's true. I'm sorry. I, I, I misread. It's a radness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there, there's a bit right, down, right. the line down there, that was just, just a smudge on my paper here, yes. Uh, yeah. But, Adam... Yeah. This is a movie you introduced me to, and yeah. we we'll watched together as a movie night thing. So, I want you to tell, shockingly, the many people who might not know who Skeleton Man is, what is this movie, and what is it about? Okay. <laughs> All right.
1: This movie is uh about a sort of <sighs> jesus christ um <laughs> there is a spirit inhabiting the woods that they that is the titular skeleton man and it kills this group of people so mercenaries to be exact so now a new group of mercenaries goes into the woods to find the old team and find out what happened to them and then they get beset on about them, the skeleton man and that's pretty much it they end up in some weird factory and the skeleton man's a Reincarnated Native American, like warrior, and blah blah blah. Think Predator, but to the least amount of degree, like you can. Like, they had the basic story outline of Predator, like, fuck it, we'll just do that. <laughs> and, and that's it. it Down it's, to
0: it's, the Skeleton main season infrared, quote unquote.
1: sees season infrared, and he can become invisible, and just, yeah, yeah. I mean, And it stars Michael Rooker and Casper Van Dien. And, uh, yeah, that's literally about the whole synopsis. Um, So, yeah, I I found this movie uh, in a DVD bin. I want to say it it at a, at that time, still not thriving, Kmart. Um, And it was one of those that had, yeah, it had one of those that was like seven or eight movies on like one disc. It was like you know, Night of Horror. Blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, I, I love horror movies. I've never heard of a single one of these. I think like the most famous one on there was, I believe, another sci-fi original, but Python with uh, Robert England.
0: Oh, classic! Yes.
1: Yeah, classic, classic, great movie. Uh, so I bought that, bought it because like whatever, it was like four bucks, you know, during the Halloween season,
0: right? And by the way, you if, for those of our younger listeners who might know, this was a common thing. When you would go to like either Kmart's or Best Buy's places like this, they would have these like packs of very cheap to buy movies on one specific disc that was like, it had like the circular stuff. And like if you went on the menu, it was the crappiest possible menu to get to whichever horror movie.
1: It was literally just a list that you scrolled down to pick the movie you wanted to watch. Yep. And I believe Skeleton Man was the first movie on that disc. So I watched it and I fell in love instantly. Because the sheer just lack of any talent involved in this, other than the Michael Rooker, who is even Michael Rooker phoning it in. Shocker, Michael Rooker does bad movies a lot. Uh, he's great, but he does a lot of garbage.
0: He's a working actor.
1: He is a working actor. It was just bewildering to me that this movie would even get past sort of like early tests. You know, they probably didn't do test screenings, but even dailies. If, even like a producer of this saw the dailies and was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll keep putting money into this, even though it's probably little to no money, even though obviously they shot in Bulgaria. But it's fucking just so bad on so many levels that it has such a charm to it. This, to me, is definitely one of those that we talk about, so bad it's good movies. And it's kind of always stuck with me to the point to where when you and I started doing our movie nights and then we started venturing into the bad ones. Because at first we would only watch good movies or series. Right. You know, like, oh, let's watch all the Jason Bourne movies, or let's watch all the Jack Ryan movies, or hey, I really like this movie, we should watch it. And then it started to turn into, let's just watch Garbage, if we can find it. And uh, this was one that I always knew, like, oh, one day, I'm showing Tom a skeleton, man. And you are so much better for it.
0: Yeah, um, th- this was uh, one of the many times where we've done a search on Tubi, our favorite streaming service. Oh, it's the best. Is, right, that has the kind of bullshit like this.
1: Yeah, newly released on there, Pig Woman of Detroit. <laughs>
0: right that's true and they've also they ventured off into making their own original movies which i love there's a clip that's been going viral of like one of the Tubi original movies in which a guy shoots this woman at like point blank range And it's just, Uh. like, him shooting at this woman, and it's just, like, him wildly flailing the gun with bad, like, not even the digital fucking, like, muzzle flashes. It's just, like, pow, 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 pow. pow. And it cuts over to her, and she's just, like, holed up like Swiss cheese. Yep. (laughs) that's the kind of great cinema you'll find on Tubi. Uh, Much like, you know, Skeleton Man. And I will say, Adam, I had a lot of fun watching Skeleton Man with you. But in prep for the show, I did rewatch Skeleton Man. And um, it's not nearly as fun on your own. (laughs) Skeleton Man's a bit more of a slog, shockingly, I would oh, say. Oh yeah,
1: no. Yeah, yeah. You can't watch it by yourself. No. No, no, no. The first time I watched it, I was with somebody, I watched it with my brother, I've watched it with my wife, I've watched it with you. Because shocker, I did not rewatch it for this because I knew I'd have to watch it alone. And I know that would not be easy.
0: To be fair, also, you've watched it so many times, you're <laughs> I think you're the only person that gets John E. Martin residuals.
1: If I'm not the only person who's seen this more than once, I, I'd be very surprised. Other than John Martin. Even then, Johnny
0: Martin, I'm sure, was just like, I don't know, it's fine. Just put yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going yeah. be- to proof it before we put it out.
1: <laughs> it, clearly. How many times did that horse change color? How many times do they reshoot the same disappearing thing?
0: How many times do they use the same exact shot of the skeleton man? There's a point where he's, like, awkwardly on the horse as it backs up and yep. then it moves forward. That, that, that sh- one shot compromises, like, 10% of the movie. <laughs>
1: A thousand percent. And his cloak changes texture constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the eagle. Might be my favorite thing in the movie. Yes. Intra shots of the hawk and the eagle. Oh, I love
0: it. With particularly the same exact sound effect where like every time I heard the sound effect, I was like, is the Colbert report starting?
1: Yep. <laughs> Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> great, great stuff. And he has a medieval uh, knight sword for some reason. The skeleton man. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Which I guess is the closest you can make this into, like, the urban fantasy element of it. Like, the Skeleton Man himself does kind of look like... Just imagine, like, the most dime store possible Skeletor. Like, to where you would buy it at the dollar store costume department. And it would just say, like, Skeleton Man. That's what it literally fucking say.
1: <laughs> yep. Skeletor. Picture it being a costume based on the Masters of the Universe movie of the 80s. And they right. bought it then, and now are using it now. Like, that's how dime-store bullshit this costume is.
0: Right, it looks like it's aged, like, about at that time, like, 25 years.
1: (laughs) It's glorious. So, Michael Rooker, he's being Michael Rooker. Casper Van Dien is another one of those actors who is not good. Uh, Like, even in Starship Troopers, to me, he's the weakest link of it, out of the entire make. And and we're talking even him against Jake Busey. And he's also not 18. Uh, But the thing is, in this movie, he... Well, I love him because he does all these shitty movies, and if you like follow his social medias and stuff, he celebrates the fact that he's in these terrible movies. Like he loves it. But probably my favorite bit of this movie is Casper Van Dien's demise.
0: Oh, oh yeah.
1: Because it feels like he just had to take off. It feels like right. he's like I'm done. I gotta go shoot another like Space Marines movie or whatever. The I, fuck they they, they call
0: me Starship Troopers three. They actually want me back, so I'm gonna do that.
1: Yeah, I got. i go. Yeah, I'm out of here, guys. Like, all right, just show some shitty footage of him superposed into a truck, and we're going to blow up a truck. It's so good.
0: Right, but what I like about Casper Van Dien in general is the fact that, like, I agree that he's not necessarily the best actor, but it never feels like he's necessarily phoning it in, I would argue.
1: Yeah, he's fully committed. He's right. always in it. Like, he's always having a good time. Like, you tell he's there, he's having fun, he's not just... I mean, he is earning a paycheck, but it's, like, he feels like he's making the most out of it.
0: My favorite scene of the whole movie is there's a bit where, like, they initially show you, like, all these people who are in this, like, special ops group or whatever. There's a point where everyone, like, chills out for a bit. It's like, oh, hey, we don't really know each other. Let's introduce ourselves. And they each introduce themselves and have their whole backstory. It's like, yeah, my name's Jane. I was in, uh, like, Forest Ops or whatever. And then it has, like, the actual text underneath it at the same
1: time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Classic. that's ridiculous and then look we're not going to touch on it too much but man the way they represent the (laughs) the native americans in this particularly the old man they come across
0: oh man well watch watching this like after prey is like so fucking fascinating
1: (laughs) yeah but i will say at least at least when it's the flashback it is all real native american actors to the point where even like boo boo stewart is one of them
0: Right, yeah, which is, uh, we should mention, like, it's, uh, his father is, uh, Niles Allen Stewart, who was actually, like, a professional stunt man, stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, one of the main guys in that flashback. And, yeah, you can see little Boo Boo Stewart just, like, going up, like, uh, oh, oh, and then he gets horribly murdered. <laughs> and he's, yeah. like, I don't know, he's, like, seven. He's very young in this.
1: By Cottonmouth Joe, who becomes the Skeleton Marrier.
0: Right, he's been married a long time ago. Where'd he come from? Where'd he go?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right, yeah. Uh, Fucking Miller owes the redneck some money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. But I mean I I would agree that like, you know, in that flashback it's at least not as terrible as it maybe could have been, but Robert Miano as the quote unquote he's credited as blind Indian in <laughs> in the actual and credits. Um uh... is one of the more like, oof, man, and especially like uh spoilers, Robert Miano, very Italian acting.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, I I I g I gotta be honest with you. The name kind of gave that away. What? Um,
0: what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, just so just so we're clear, guys. Peppercini Alfredo. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's Italian.
0: That <laughs> there's a horrible history of this with like even like the crying like Native American guy in those old commercials. Italian dude. Yep. Like it's a weird thing that like for some reason just like hmm, how are we not going to represent these people authentically?
1: Oh, let's get Italians to play them because yep, they're a bit darker skinned I guess that's the yep. closest thing well that because at that point they were under fire for I mean and this is true for they were under fire for painting just straight up white guys with fucking rouge right so like okay we can't do that we can't do that anymore so yeah just hey, go on to the Luigi's down on fourth Wait, so no, why am I crying? No. did he throw away my mama's ziti I don't understand
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what you that's what you don't hear over yeah. the narration <laughs>
1: Yeah, you don't, no, all you, all you don't hear is just a lot of, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm walking no. here.
0: No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so basically, uh, the, the representation here is quite terrible, in case you couldn't tell. Robert Miano at a certain point is like, oh, you need to offer me something. Just like, here, beans? You want beans, right? Yeah, sure. And it's like a gr- the most green can of beans possible. It's like army beans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we got to watch him eat them. Like it's disgusting,
0: right? Like, is that can like made out of fucking like army men? Yeah, like the maybe. plastic army. It looks like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't know there was such a thing too as army beans, which is great.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are preserves that army folks carry around, but I don't know if they call them army beans. Yeah,
1: I don't think they call it army beans. <laughs> like, maybe I don't know. Maybe because there's there is navy beans, so maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean and and in case you could tell we're focusing on stuff like this so much because most of this movie is a lot of people just walking around in the forest which is clearly bulgaria not any sort of place in the united states whatsoever and it is just like a lot of like people walking around saying like oh my god there's a skeleton man oh he's over there and occasional (laughs) very bizarrely gory deaths yeah i didn't expect for the cv
1: movie (laughs) yep occasional yeah, it's a lot of them diving behind tree trunks or down trees with the camera zooming in three sixty around them, and then pointing their guns at random things. Uh, that's makes up the bulk of the movie until they get into like for some reason, which looks like a water treatment plan at the end.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, and also we should mention we didn't we forgot about the opening bit, which is amazing uh, with the scientists who are like looking at ancient Native American artifacts and the skeleton man shows up and kills them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a good bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, again, yeah, no, like look, the fact of the matter is, of course, this was a stretch to put this on, but this is definitely one of those where I've wanted to fit it somewhere on this for so long because I just want to get more eyes on this thing. I want to be validated. I need my own personal validation. This was all ego, but I want other people to see this and be like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a fun time, but watch it with somebody else for sure.
0: Yeah, right. Because, like I said, there's going to be a lot of just, like, boring stretches with, like, at the same time, there still are very funny moments. Like, my favorite funny bit in this movie is to stretch out time. There's a bit where Michael Rooker and, like, one of the other mercenaries is, like, walking around. And Michael Rooker, like, trips on a fucking twig and then falls down a fucking hill like he's Andy Sandberg and Hot Rod. He's like, oh, 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 God, oh, 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 oh. And then he answers, like, are you Okay. Yeah,
1: I'll survive! Yeah, and and that's the thing, too. There's all supposed to be, like, military-grade mercenaries, you know, obviously because they have army beans. But they're just wearing, like, shit you can get at the local Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, none of it looks legit. They all just look like there's just some thrown-together group of people. And, of course, like, you know, there's the sexy female one and the guy who has, like, masculinity problems. It's just – it's such a cliche bottom – Barrel, like, character archetypes. That just... It's just such a joy. It's such a thrill.
0: So many moments where someone encounters a skeleton man and completely loses any ability to, like, shoot. Like, in the opening bit I was talking about, there's a bit where one of the woman scientists is like, oh my god, he's after me, he's following me. And one of the construction workers is like, oh, hold on, I'll help you, I have a shotgun. And the skeleton man shows up, and he has, like, stormtrooper fucking aim, where it's just like, pew, pew, like, it goes every other direction and the skeleton man just like goes up to him and like murders him immediately he's just like uh falls on the ground dead a lot of that happens
1: well yeah hundred percent i mean these mercenaries got these supposed high-tech like automatic rifles and they're just plugging away at the force and they can't hit shit but this thing with a bow and arrow is just taking out airplanes and helicopters and whatever the fuck else a while on horseback on the left
0: Right, yeah, that's that is another great moment. Is the skeleton man like encounters the helicopter and guy shooting? He shoots the helicopter guy off first, and then shoots the helicopter, which makes it fall and like with ba- very bad stock footage, crash horribly.
1: Oh, it's the best! Isn't that great stock footage? Isn't it wonderful? I mean, the quality of it is clearly from like a '60s movie, maybe right. '70s. Oh, mwah.
0: like I'm sure it's also in an episode of like the Incredible Hulk TV show,
1: <laughs> or it's Toonces, the driving cat. Uh, right. but it, it's just great the same because they just fill a screen with fireball at that point and they do the same thing at the Casper Vandian crash and it's just great
0: yes and there's of course a lot of great bits like you mentioned the water treatment plant they go to which is like the big research facility or whatever and it's a lot of people like come to skeletons like hey where's your key card and the skeleton throws some over the railing You're just like
1: oh it's I know I know. Doing that. Yeah, I know I love the idea that they think he might work there Hey, you're the new hire. Welcome to the fucking program. Ah, Yeah, Yeah, you must be Dr. Tim. Hey, oh god. (laughs) Let me show you where the donuts are. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Sunday is a potluck. Deborah's pregnant again, so we're oh god.
0: (laughs) Hey, I have a fantasy football team. I don't know if you would. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of that leading up to Michael Rooker facing off against him in another sort of like hilarious, like shoot him up sequence that happens there. And especially even like the ending of this movie is so bizarre where Michael Rooker's like walking out, just like, well, it looks like I did it. Shows over, immediate credits! And it's like, oh, okay, I guess the show's over. And then wait, it reverses like it's a v- VHS. And then it comes back and skeleton means like on another horse. Just like always coming
1: back, and then the crits turn up again. Yep, they pull a little bit of funny games at the end of there.
0: <laughs> that's true, Michael Pitt was secretly behind the spoofy the whole
1: time. Yep, so fucking stupid. But the thing is, though, back in the day, like with these type of movies, if it even did okay, they would make a second one, right? So that's probably why they did. It. They're like, oh, if anybody watches this, Skeleton Man Part 2 coming.
0: Uh, spoilers: There is no Skeleton Man Part Two.
1: I know. We should make it. We just use our monthly Patreon budget. That's enough.
0: I don't know. We have to ask Johnny Martin if he'll give up those great rights to Skeleton Man for his vision.
1: You <laughs> would do it, just buy him a Subway sandwich.
0: I'm sure that that's about the price. Yeah, just like I'd like yeah. be like six fifty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, dude, we're we'll getting you the six inch. No. Oh. All right, I'll have a cold-cut trio toasted. Absolutely not in the cards, buddy. Cold. Oh. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> it's even like it costs extra to toast it. I know, but we don't care enough. Yeah, that, yeah no, know. not doing that, buddy. Can I get the chips and the cookies? No. <laughs> no, come on, man. All right, I'll fucking take it. Fucking it.
0: <laughs> Johnny, if you're listening, we love your film. <laughs> We appreciate you so much.
1: I love it, but I better not too far off.
0: <laughs> but Adam, so I'm curious because, like, with these sort of like sci fi original you know, movies, the way they've evolved since this one has come out, it's a lot of sort of like your Sharknados. Your other ones that are trying to more be purposely bad, which are famously ones we don't appreciate as kind of yeah, sewers of cinematic so cinema. Uh, what do you think separates something like a Skeleton Man from one of those more like Winky and Nodding? kind of ones.
1: A the lack of budget. where Sharknadoes might not be good, but they got definitely got a better budget than this movie. And B, the Sharknados are trying too hard to be winky and like, ah, hey, look how clever we are. It's Mark Cuban, huh? And you're like, give a fuck if Mark Cuban's in your movie. Where this one, it's like it's just it's it's done in such earnesty that it makes it terrible. You know, it's just, they, they it's taken so seriously, and that's what makes it fun. It's the no-winking. The no, like, hey, check it out. Listen to our fucking badass, like, clearly free music on the internet guitar riff score. <laughs> you know, like, it's like check this shit out, man. This isn't this fucking cool. He was a Native American who killed his whole tribe, and now he's a crazy ghost. Thing and you're like oh all right yeah don't you is, love the
0: great mythology we've built up with skeleton <laughs> you just like ah uh, yeah but yeah sure Johnny I, I guess sure sure
1: sure man yeah yeah and I you know the funny thing is I can absolutely kind of pinpoint the switch where sci-fi started getting a little bit more serious with their movies like where they really started to put money into their productions and stuff i i honestly think it was probably marvel's man thing
0: right which was in around the same time wasn't it like around 2005 or so
1: yeah probably about 2006
0: yeah i mean i think it also probably has a lot to do with the fact that like they would get more people who would like be shooting like lower budget things like johnny martin interestingly like looking up his career he has so many credits doing stunt work well prior to this, like as early as like killer clowns from outer space or even in Titanic. Like he's a guy who clearly like has been doing the stunt stuff for so long and like wanted to make a movie. And I love the idea of like, once again, one of these guys was just like, I've been around movies since I can direct a movie. And uh, he directs this movie. And um, even the stunt work doesn't look uh, great necessarily.
1: Directs has to be in quotes, right? Like it's in air quotes. He directs this movie.
0: Right. He directed people where the craft service table was.
1: Yeah. Hey guys, go try the ham roll ups. Um but it's just Yeah, and that's the you know, and that's the funny thing about it too. He's a stunt, you know, actor and whatever you know, established stunt actor, and you've seen that happen, you know, all the time where stunt performers I mean, become directors. I mean, even as like nowadays like Chad Stahelski who's doing like John Wick, and he was a big time stunt guy forever and he's transitioned into really being knowing how to shoot action and shoot fight scenes and stuff like that and you know obviously that's what made those movies the most successful where this guy i mean he has no idea where to put his camera he has no idea how to stage an action scene he has no idea to create how to create tension through action no idea no clue what he's doing
0: but there's more of a charm to that as opposed to like a lot of these other like more recent sci-fi channel movies definitely have sort of a more a polished to them Where it's like, okay, this isn't incompetently made, but it's trying to make it seem like it's more incompetently made on the slower budget. Therefore, it feels disingenuous. Versus this does not feel disingenuous.
1: No, it feels amazing.
0: It's great. (laughs) Really great. But you know what? Uh, We have a whole other movie to talk about, Adam. So let's do our final thoughts. If you can summarize it all about your beloved Skeleton Man.
1: I mean, like I said, it's a terrible movie. I would never send be like, "Oh, you got to see it. It's great. It's great." Not even like people do, like what we talked about recently with like Troll Two, where like it's the best worst movie. Like you got to see it. You got to see it. It's it's bad. It's really really bad. But you get with your buddies or you know a family member you like to watch crappy movies with or whatever and. Maybe have a couple drinks or something else and watch it. You're going to have a good time. There's no question. You will have a fun time. So for that, I just it's always been endearing, and that's why you know I love it.
0: And I will say that like I agree definitely with that element that like if you're gonna watch it, watch it with like somebody else who enjoys watching a bad movie. But more crucially, if you can watch it like on Tubi, definitely do so because you definitely need those commercial breaks just to kind of like you know commiserate with your person. But like, so what the fuck are we watching? What is going on? who is the skeleton man? <laughs> what is happening? Like, you need those breaks to calm down a bit. And plus, it creates the ambiance of being, like, on Sci-Fi Channel, uh, surfing through and, like, finding this at, like, I don't know, probably 2.30 in the morning on, like, a Saturday evening. <laughs> After you've come back from the bar and you're like, oh, God, I can't sleep. Let me watch something on Sci-Fi Channel. This fits that kind of thing perfectly. But uh, let's get into arguably a more prestigious film, Adam, some might say, of uh, Ponyo.
1: Sasuke, come right back up, okay? Okay. Huh? You never know when you'll meet someone... A goldfish. ...who will change your life forever. That was weird. Mom, a goldfish! I think I'll call her Ponyo. She wasn't like any other fish. She might be magic. This fish... I will be a human too! ...is getting her wish. Huh? on August 14th. I can't believe it, she's turned into a human. I need to ask for her mother's help now. What's wrong? I've never seen the ocean like this. Walt Disney Studios presents What is that? a Studio Ghibli film from Hayao Miyazaki, the Academy Award-winning director of Spirited Away. Let's go!
0: Sopano came out July 19th, 2008, in Japan. Uh, though this came out, I remember in August of 2009 in the States. This is a Hayao Miyazaki film from Studio Ghibli. Like, he's the same director who did like Spirited Away, um, House Moving Castle, and My Neighbor Totoro. A bunch of like classic sort of uh, anime films, and they're all right. And we've talked at him that we're not necessarily the most well versed in anime, but uh, we both uh, do really love a good Miyazaki
1: movie. Uh, yeah, dude, he's great. Uh, he's he puts out works of art. Spirited Away is hands down my all-time favorite animated movie. Period. Not just even Miyazaki or Ghibli or anything like that. It's just it's just a masterpiece. And you know he, he's just able to display it's just the utter brilliance of youth and these kids and the innocence and sort of all that. And it just works so masterfully. And it's so adorable. Like the character designs are great. The voice acting, even in the English dubs, is usually top notch. He's just a master.
0: Yeah, um, we should mention um, the the version at least we were able to watch is on HBO Max currently is the dub, which that was the thing is around the time like you know uh, when Miyazaki's movies were being released by Disney, they would have these big celebrity cast filled dubs that you know I think most of the time they can be a bit distracting. I would say Ponyo is one of the better examples of how they're well utilized. uh, With a bit of a plot synopsis maybe first before I go into that. Um, This is the story of Ponyo is the titular little girl who lives under the sea. She's a little fish girl, um, and uh, she wants to, you know, go up to the surface. Uh, Basically, it's very much like a Little Mermaid parable of sorts, uh, where she uh, goes up to the surface after, like, escaping away from her dad, uh, who's voiced by Liam Neeson uh, in the American dub, which is interesting given she disappears and Liam Neeson has to find his daughter. (laughs) In a different land, It's the best taken movie, technically. Little um, Panya, who's voiced by Noah Cyrus, little sister of Miley Cyrus, um, goes on to shore. She is found by Sosuke, who's a little boy voiced by Frankie Jonas, the other Jonas brother. He's like, oh, let me you know, get her out of this little bottle she's in. He breaks the bottle. He hurts his hand. He's like, oh, no, I got cut. She proceeds to heal his hand by, like, sucking on, on the cut, and thus uh, that heals his wound, but also uh, she gets a taste of blood, which means that she starts, uh, you know, getting a taste for human in terms of she actually wants to become a human, and there's all these conflicts that happen because, like, her, you know, father and mother under the sea kind of wanted to protect her, but at the same time, um, she wants to, like, hang around with Sosuke on land, even though, like, this conflict is causing, like, tsunamis to happen because, uh, you know, the sea is searching for Ponyo again, and yeah, it's, like I said, a Little Mermaid riff of sorts, but it's a beautiful little story, it's very cute, it's very much a kid's movie, but in a way that, like, even an adult can watch and just be so enraptured with these little kids and how they interact. Like you mentioned, Hayao Miyazaki does such a great job of, like, portraying kids, in a way that feels, like, realistic, but at the same time, they're definitely weird kids. Like, I love Sosuke is, like, one he ta- calls his mom Lisa the whole time. But at the same time, he's like very respectful of like, she works at an old person's home. It's right next to his little daycare center. And he always like goes over and he like helps out with all the old ladies and stuff like that. But, but even then like his interactions with Ponyo where he's just like trying to teach her what the surface life is like. And she's incredibly inquisitive. Even as like a little fish person. And as time goes along, she transforms and stuff like that. I just love the curiosity that these children have. It's so sweet and and enrapturing. And you're just, it makes, it reminds you of like what it was just to be a kid in general, with, like, that fascination, or even just a complete lack of any kind of uh, understanding about something, like, being so off the wall that it's, like, frightening. Like, the bit where when uh, Ponyo comes onto the shore and she's, whenever, like, she comes up, like, the sea sometimes, like, tries to get Ponyo back and is personified by, like, waves with weird eyeballs and it looks like these kind of monstrous creatures trying to get her back and then disappears. And Tsosuke witnesses this and is like, huh, that's weird. Anyway, this little fish girl, like, he doesn't even press it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fucking great, dude. It's so sweet. Like, it is loosely based on the same story, obviously a little more made. I mean, clearly the comparisons are, are there. But it just takes it to such a different sort of sweet, cute, even more child-centric level. I watched this with my daughter. I, I told her, hey, tomorrow you and I are watching a movie together. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. like, okay. And... Throughout the entire runtime, which is not a very long movie, but throughout the entire runtime, I would glance over at her and she just had the biggest, dumbest smile on her face. Like she just ate this thing up and she literally just kept saying how cute it was. This is so cute. This is cute. This is cute. She absolutely loved it. I, I heard belly laughs come out of her a couple times, uh, especially with things that Ponyo did, the actions she would take or You know when she ate the ramen and like looked like she was about to pass out because she was so full. Mm -hmm. Like she had a laugh out of that. She had a laugh out of the with her toes where she was like moving them like a hand. Like there was a lot, a lot of laughter and sort of wonderment there in my kids' eyes. And that's when you know you got something special because even some mainstream Disney movies that have come out, I I watch it with her and she's kind of like, "Oh, it's good." And it's almost like she likes it just because it's Disney and because there's princesses and stuff like that. So you know, it's almost like, well, I'm going to say I like this. Whether she likes it or not, you know, I like it. But this one, it was one of those where I've watched with her. There's been a couple of them, but this one, uh, she watched it and you could genuinely tell, like, she, she was totally into it. Like, hook, line, and Sicker loved the movie, would watch it again, like, type of deal. Um, which I'm not opposed to. I'd rather watch this again than, you know, even though we've talked about Red Panda and I really liked it, I don't want to see that fucking movie again. Good God!
0: You mean going red, turning, red. turning
1: red, turning red. What did I say? Red panda, oh, red panda. That's what she calls it. So <laughs> red panda, but retitled. Red.
0: Officially retitled.
1: So for her to get into things like this, and me be able to like sort of show her other things you know other than just mainstream animation mainstream disney and you know obviously they got to be age appropriate that's one of the major problems with navigating with things like this because it's not easy to find a super age appropriate movie for a 6 year old girl whereas disney you know you're pretty much on the safe side most of the time and Pixar, same way. But, like, it's kind of hard to navigate those minefields. But this, you know, if, if anybody hasn't seen this and you got young kids, especially young little girls, I would say, they're going to love it. Like, I can't see any little kid not liking this movie.
0: Yeah, I would say Studio Ghibli has a fair amount of those. Where, I mean, some of them might be more, a bit more in the PG range, necessarily, than others.
1: Yeah, I, I tried Spirited Away with her.
0: Yeah, that feels like a bit slightly more adult.
1: Yeah, she was into it for, like, the first ten minutes. And then she's like, I, I don't, I don't like this. What's going on?
0: I would say one that fits more in a similar vein to this would be, like, My Neighbor Totoro. My Neighbor Totoro is also like Oh,
1: Kiki's Delivery Service.
0: Yeah, I could see that as well. But I'm just saying in terms of, like, My Neighbor Totoro has a very similar vibe about, like, very little kids encountering, like, these mysterious weird creatures that are, like, suddenly show up in the middle of their backyard. Um, But even with Pony, what I love also is that it's so much more of, like, a, a sweet, intimate story about, like, two little kids just becoming friends. I just even love that element of it where... Ponyo is so fascinated by, like, oh, the surface world and everything, and Sosuke is just like, she, Ponyo's just, like, a fun person. I love being around her so much. And I love the fact that, like, everybody gets so on board, like, even Lisa, the mom. When Ponyo, she's initially introduced to her, is like, oh, it's my little goldfish, Ponyo. And later, she just, it was, like, a, a little girl that's just, like, walking down the fucking road. And it's just like, look, it's Ponyo, my friend. And Lisa, for a second, is like, what? Well, okay, let's go ahead and go inside, we'll eat ramen together. And it's, like, it's very sweet.
1: Yes, and... Mid-transformation, uh, Ponyo is one of my favorite character designs ever. Yes. Where she is, where she's, if you'd ask a little kid to draw a chicken, the way, what the legs would look like. It's so yes. fucking cute.
0: Right. and But it, it's especially just like the the animation also is so gorgeous, particularly like I love any of the shots where it's Ponyo either in that form or even her little girl form just running along the waves as they're going. Like she encounters uh, the dad character voiced by Matt Damon in the dub. Also Uh another, like, bizarre, like, sun casting. But, like, all those shots of, like, her just casually running along with the waves... Uh, like, she's fucking Jesus on water. It's like, it's so gorgeous to see. I love the look of that. Or even, like, the the, the waves, the way that they're captured, where they have, like, the sentience to them, like, when they're chasing down the car that, like, uh, Sosuke and his mom are in. Or even just, like, small stuff. Like, I love how they integrate, like, the pollution element into this story, where it's just, like, it's a background detail, but at the same time, they very much comment on the fact that just, like, oh, humans are disgusting and they're invading our waters and just putting filth in it. And all this other stuff like it said does such a great job like building this world without like really laying thick on you stuff about like the characters or like the environmental message or anything like that it just all like feels so much of a piece
1: yeah and i i love all the creature design i love obviously the movie's based in fantasy as we know but even like all the other under the water creatures for the most part at least the feature ones are all original like sort of weird designs and things like that and it totally just fits into the world of the story we're telling and it, it just makes it that much richer because you know in an animation movie for it to have scenery and you know creature designs and other characters besides our our main sort of cast that are just as fascinating and interesting is a hard feat to really pull off and this one really really does it
0: yeah particularly i love ponyo's little sisters who are just like the same little like goldfish sort of appearance that she initially is and how they all have like the same kind of like vocal range, just like oh Oh, oh, like the noises like make it so <laughs> cute just to see them especially like whenever Ponyo like tries to escape after her dad's like no you can't go back to the surface world it's forbidden and she like creates that hole and little like bubble that they're in and causes like all the water to like spurt up and Ponyo's just like causing horrible chaos in this little environment and she doesn't give a shit she's like she wants to get
1: out here for Sosuke because she loves Sosuke and she loves ham yeah loves ham she's having a blast dude. one of the cutest things maybe ever that I've seen in a long time time or even in this movie is that scene when you know Lisa and Sasuke first see Ponyo running up the road and she runs right between Lisa's legs and just jumps on Ponyo I mean to the point where she's even got her legs wrapped around him and he's holding her and he's like oh what the hell and it's just <laughs> so cute it's so cute the character design while simple is just perfect it's so adorable and like even the end bit you know, with the bubble where she makes herself land on his face and then she's floating above him. Like, it's so cute.
0: There's a point where they are stuck at home and Lisa has gone back to her job. And the next morning she hasn't come back and the water's all the way up. Like, they live on the top of the cliff. Uh, Sosuke and his mom and they wake up the next morning him and Ponyo like oh my god the water's all the way up to here we gotta go search for my mom and Ponyo uses her magic to make like the little toy boat into a giant boat that they have like a giant candle that makes it go forward and they encounter that couple with the baby I love all the stuff with Ponyo and the baby it is so cute where she just see it's like this you know a toddler age kid encountering an infant and realizing like okay you're smaller than me and I want to make you a bit happier because she keeps looking at this baby and there's nothing more fucking funny than me Even that little baby giving her the mean mug look. Love <laughs> and, the it. Mom's, and the mom's just like, oh, my baby likes you. And you look at this baby just like, what the fuck are you looking
1: at? <laughs> Absolutely love it. And then they start doing the thing like you could do with your dog where you like slowly close your eyes and the dog will slowly close its eyes. Like they start <laughs> doing that to each other. It's just it's amazing. It's so adorable. And I just love, you know, the fact like the mom grabs the soup. And she's like, that's for her. Like, I <laughs> feel <body was> so <laughs> bad. And then she has to explain to her, like, hey, well, you know, if I have the soup, then it'll help me be able to, you know, create milk to feed her. Is that okay? I guess. Like, it's it's just... (laughs) It's really, really sweet. That's the thing about this movie. It's sweet.
0: Yeah. It's another one of those things where, like, much in a weird vein to Skeleton Man, it's very sincere. But in this case, you have a great artist like Hayao Miyazaki making this... Initially, like we said, silly concept of like, oh, a little fish girl falls in love with a human boy and like creates so much like artistry and beauty to it. Like any of the times we see like the the, just the weird designs, like one, the Liam Neeson dad character. I love his design, like the weird like sideshow bob hair and his pinstripe suits and stuff. And he encounters his wife, who is this giant goddess of the sea voiced by Kate blanchett in the american dub and like i all those scenes are so gorgeous where it's like this little weird pensive pencil cartoon man against this giant gorgeous goddess of the sea who's just like hey babe how's our daughter doing
1: i know i love it. it's like hey we don't spray weeds around here what this isn't for weeds this is top of the line ocean water if i don't spray it i'll dry out Right, get back here. <laughs> they take off because <laughs> <laughs> at first, you know, even my daughter's like, "Oh, he's the bad guy," and I'm like, "He's not really a bad guy. Like, he is, but he thinks he's doing the right thing. Like, it's very bizarre. He just he loves his daughter. He wants his daughter back. Like, it's hard to call him a bad guy."
0: Well, that's my love too. Is with Miyazaki movies, there are rarely bad guys, quote unquote. They really have like overt villains. They just have people who like interact with each other. In ways where just, like, one has, you know, certain motivations the other one doesn't have. And nothing is, like, sinister about it, necessarily. There's just, like, a real earnest human emotion. It's like these characters interacting with each other. So where you get where, like, Ponyo's father's coming from. And the same you get where, like, Lisa's coming from. When, like, she's kind of, like, a, you know, like concerned parent in the similar vein. Uh, but, you know, with more minor concerns. But, like, Sosuke, get away from the cliffs! Or stop bothering the old ladies, who I love all the old ladies. Yep, they're great. And, they're so and in the I love especially in the American dub, they're voiced by like Cloris Leachman and Lily Tomlin and Betty White. And they're all very sweet, just like, oh Sosuke, you're such a little gentleman <laughs> when he
1: <comes laughs> Now I know that sound voice sounds familiar. It sounds like Sosuke. But he's in school, so it couldn't be him. <laughs> 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 he's like, No, it's me. Oh good. I thought I was going crazy. Um <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 great characters. I mean that's the thing, the movie's populators just Goofy, weird-looking characters. Like, it's great. I, and one of my favorite parts, even with the mom, is when she's so pissed at the dad. Yes. And she's just rapid-firing, well, at least in the English stuff, bug off to him.
0: Right, with with the symbols, because uh, Soski's dad is off on a ship, so they do, like, the, um, I guess it's like Morse code with, like, the lights and they're going back and forth and he's trying to like apologize like, oh, mom, dad says that you're beautiful. And she's just, like on the bed like, no, I don't want to fucking talk to him, that piece of shit. <laughs> and then she goes over and says, bug off, bug off. Um, and it is very sweet. Sp- also, a uh, shout out, uh, Tina Fey's voice in the American Dub is
1: very good as the mom as well. See, to me, Tina Fey, she's good in it, but she's probably my weakest link as far as the voice acting. Um, to me, there's not too much inflection there. Yeah, it, it, to me at least personally it sounds like she's reading
0: I mean I would say that's more the case with like a Matt Damon who to be fair only has like four lines maybe in this script
1: which at, I mean one. at best at best yeah
0: right right but weirdly that's not even the case with like the little like uh, Noah Cyrus or Frankie Jonas like they have right. they're like really especially Noah Cyrus like anytime she's just, like the Ponyo loves Sosuke. it's like so cute
1: yeah it's yeah it's great and like I said just her you know hey <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and that ramen whatever it was looked fucking great the king of animated food
0: right i mean like that meme goes around all the time of like oh anime food looks better than like actual real life food but it's miyazaki who like perfected that and even with like the ramen here like even just the way like when the ham is like put onto it as little slices yep. it just looks like yep. oh my god i want to fucking eat that even
1: though it's really yeah, like, to, like, paper <laughs> the entire banquet and spirited away you're like oh my god
0: Yeah, and you're much like Ponyo. Like, you want ham. I even love the, like, just the small details of, like, when they have the ham sandwich initially, and Ponyo's still a little goldfish. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, trying to cut out here's a little piece of bread, and here's a little piece of ham. And she gets the huge piece that's still in the sandwich out.
1: Yep, dude. the, The one thing about this movie, it's just super, super, super adorable. It's full of heart, it's full of just love and the innocence of children and then the you know sort of adult relationships at the same time wanting to be around your spouse and needing help from your spouse and like wow uh, and it's just it there is something for everyone in this
0: yeah which i think is why it's also like one of the more successful studio ghibli movies especially even stateside because i remember this came out in the states in like august of 2009 and it was like a surprisingly big hit I think it's because not just, like, obviously, the, you know, American voice cast it's full of celebrities, but more just, like, this translates so beautifully. Like, you could even watch The Silent Light and still get everything.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. This is one that works, and, you know, probably with either dub. I, I think probably, I'm guessing, I've only seen it with the English dub. I've never watched it subtitled. But, it, again, though, this is a really strong, strong dub. I still think Spirit Away is their best dub but again i'm such a huge fan of the movie, so maybe that's why but i i just i really think this is a super super polished movie in pretty much every way
0: yeah even just like down to i love stuff like the actual design of the the little town which is based on a real town called uh, tamanuro in japan like i love that it's just like the gorgeous look of it and even just the way certain people interact like how lisa has to keep going through like the shipyard in order to get uh, to fucking town, or even just, like, the, the, we only spend time in, like, a couple different locations, but they all have their own, like, little beauty to them. Even something as small as, like, the little den of a house uh, that they live on on the cliff. Uh, just the way that, like, it, it looks so cozy and beautiful, and, like, even just little things like, oh, here's the little light that we plug in, so in case, like, the power goes out, we have this. Um, there's there's such, like, a beauty to every single trip. And it's so weird but like, when you watch... One of Hayao Miyazaki's movies, like, oh, God, it's so beautiful and gorgeous. And then if you ever see that man actually talk about, like, his movies or the art of anime, he is one of the most bitter, cynical, (laughs) angry people about it. Like, there's a whole documentary... I believe it's like a kingdom in the sky or whatever, but it's like about him making uh, the wind rise. This is his most recent movie. And it's a lot of him just like chain smoking cigarettes. Just like, uh, what was the point of even doing any of this? Making films was a mistake. Oh, I hate fucking people who love my movies. It's just like Jesus Christ. This guy is like so bitter, angry and cynical. He makes the most beautiful heartwarming movies that make you cry. <laughs> despite the fact that they're very simple, like many times children's films. You're just like so enraptured. Meanwhile, he's just like, uh,
1: fuck all of you (laughs) (laughs) yeah no he's a he's a wonderful personality is there anybody better putting out these type of movies his movies are masterpieces and that's the thing anybody i know even people who i know for a fact are not sort of like anime fans or anything like that love the miyazaki movies like, everybody I know who's seen him are like, that's actually really cool. You just got to give it a chance. Like, because that was a big thing for me because I'm not an anime guy. I've never really been into anime. Uh, so even that, like, everyone's telling me, oh, you got to watch Prince Mononoke. You got to watch this. You got to watch that. And I'm like, ah, fuck. Fine, I'll give it a shot. And I watch it. I'm like, oh, this is actually phenomenal. And then I sort of went down the rabbit hole of his films. And, I mean, every single one of them pretty much works.
0: Yeah, even, like, the weaker ones, I would still say, like, have so much gorgeousness to them. Like, I'm not the hugest Howl's Moving Castle fan, but at the same time, there yeah. are beautiful things about that movie. Just, like, even the castle itself alone and how it moves around and shit. I swear, we're definitely going to do, if nothing else, a Studio Ghibli episode at some point. Yeah, like, yeah, full yeah we have, we have to. Episode, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, there's so much to, like, his movies and how he, like, puts them out there. But at the same time, you know, maybe there are other ones just we're not aware of because we're not huge anime guys. Uh, You know, we have plenty of folks out there who... Well, what, listen to the show. Who watch anime? You know, if there's similar vein movies, uh, recommend them to us. We'd be curious to see if, like other ones not made by Miyazaki himself.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna watch it, but still, go ahead.
0: <laughs> Those suggestions will go
1: right in the bin. Where they <laughs> always go.
0: Um. Oh, and you know, before we get to final thoughts, just a shout out Joe Hisachi, who is the guy who does the music for all of his fucking movies. Oh yeah, always phenomenal. beautiful, always yeah, yeah. gorgeous. Uh, but even particularly here, it feels a bit different than, like, the other ones because this is a bit more based on, like, Wagner operas, which you can kind of hear particularly, like, in the, the big sequence where the tsunami happens and was like, walking on the water and stuff like that. You can hear, like, that Wagner influence, but still there's such gorgeousness, like, particularly during the big finale where they're going to have the big test of, like, oh, does, you know, Ponyu love Sosuke? Do we know or whatever with, like, the, the mom and stuff like that. The, that gorgeous, like, heavenly choir that's playing it's so gorgeous and massive and you just feel even with a small sort of story that's an intimate story about these characters you feel like the, the 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 animation and the music just makes it feel so much more expansive
1: no i agree his scores always work the thing is like you could tell it's the same composer but it, he's able to really just put the sense of whimsy in them and also sometimes a sense of you know childhood danger where it's not like horribly this horribly bombastic like chilling nightmare score but there's always just a sense of you know urgency to it sometimes and it's a masterpiece
0: particularly like the bit where um sosuke is carrying like the little uh, bucket and the one old lady's like come on sosuke get over here as like the water's coming in like that's a moment that like is filled with like a lot of tension and like big like oh it feels almost like an action sequence but it's also just like it's a little kid like running on a fucking wooden pole but you feel so immersed like oh my guy's gonna make it to the other side
1: Oh yeah, it's great. And he's running like halfway sideways and shit like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, but uh we've gushed about this movie enough, Adam. Any final thoughts about Ponyo?
1: Like I said, I just think it's an expertly crafted sort of children's fantasy cartoon. There's nothing in it for the adults to really sort of latch onto and also enjoy. And like I said, just a pure sense of whimsy I'm watching my kid have while watching it. it's just it's it's just charming and it makes you feel good. And yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. Uh, This was definitely one of the ones where I I think spirited away was also the first one I ever watched, but this is one of the early ones I watched. Um, and I think this one does such a great job of like, it, it plays perfectly for a little kid, but at the same time, if you're an adult, you just get like so much like joy and sweetness out of this little movie about like a little boy, you know, becoming friends, with a little fish girl, the emotions are like so palpable and beautiful and translate beyond any language and it looks so gorgeous and the back and forth between all the characters, whether it's in the American dub or in the original Japanese version, which you've also seen, like it really translates regardless. It just is like such a really beautiful, immersive story. Um, and it makes you, you know, love a lot of things. It makes you go back and love childhood. It makes you love the ocean. and makes you love ham.
1: Yeah, Ponyo's a big Mad Men fan.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what do you want to hear?
1: Yeah, so what do you want to hear? (laughs)
0: Life is like a carousel of ham. (laughs) It's nostalgia, it's potent. Um, But let's get to our weekly segment, Adam, The Double Redo. Double Double Redo. Double Redo. Double
1: Redo. Double Redo. Double Double Redo. Redo. Double, 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 double,
0: double, redo! redo. That works. So the Double Redo is a segment Adam and I do every week where we, uh, you know, talk about a good and a bad movie related to the topic in question. Uh, So, uh, you know, we recommend another good movie for you to watch to sway you from a bad movie uh, not to watch. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, we have that for Urban Fantasy, each of us. And I'll go ahead and start off with my two picks, Uh, for the urban fantasy one. And uh, these are both, I think, a bit loose, once again, on the definition. Um, I think one is more specific than the other one in terms of urban fantasy. But for my good, I have one that skirts a bit more into uh, the horror direction, given it's on Shudder currently. It's a very new release, just came out uh, the week that we're recording this. Uh, But it's a movie that um, is very limited in budget and follows um, our main character, Wes, who's played by Ron Quanton who is, like, on the road after, it, you know, a pretty bad breakup, and he's, uh, you know, very disheveled and whatnot, so he's on the road living out of his car, and he stops over at a rest stop where, you know, it's mainly there just for, like, there'll be a vending machine and a bathroom, basically. That's all that's there. So uh, he hangs out there for the, for the night and then wakes up the next morning after drinking a lot, and uh, while he's at the toilet vomiting, he hears a strange voice coming from the other side in the other stall, um, and as it turns out, this voice belongs to a Lovecraftian god who has trapped Ryan Quantine in this uh, little rest stop and is saying that, oh, he needs something from him. The universe needs a favor. And um, it most takes place inside this bathroom, which looks appropriately kind of shitty for what this is. But the back and forth between Ryan Quantin, who's an actor I've seen in a couple of things, you know, can be hit or miss for me, but I think this is one of his better performances, playing off against. The Lovecraftian God, who you don't see, obviously, given that's kind of part of the gimmick with those uh, kind of characters, but is voiced by J.K. Simmons himself. This interesting back and forth about, once again, sort of this urban fantasy element of, like, oh, you go into a rest stop where, like, you know, people just use like, piss and shit on the floor, if anything. And you walk in, like, oh, there's a Lovecraftian God who's keeping me here against my will to try and, obviously, get a favor out of me. Um, I think it's a really interesting little story that, despite the lower budget... It creates, like, a fascinating, you know, fantastical environment within this bathroom, and it's great performances from Quantum, but especially, of course, J.K. Simmons, uh, great with just his vocal work. There's a few twists and turns I didn't expect coming, particularly about the Ryan Quantum character that I was really fascinated by, and it's a tight 80-minute package with credits. So I think, you know, if you can handle, you know, your stories getting a bit gory, this one definitely gets goopy and bloody to a certain extent as it goes along. Um, It's a really interesting little sort of contained character-focused movie, a bottle movie, if you will. Um, just about, you know, somebody encountering an unearthly being in the most unlikely of places. Uh, and then for my bad choice, um, I have one that definitely fits, like, urban fantasy to the every single fault possible. I have Bright, which was the Netflix film uh, that, if you somehow forgot this, because Netflix released 10,000 movies in the time since this one came out, uh, this was the big sort of... Um, like, blockbuster attempt uh, from director David Ayer and writer Max Landis. This is, like, the last big project he was involved with before he was scuttled off the face of the earth, thankfully, in Hollywood. This is the one that is about Will Smith as a cop, who is teamed up with um, another cop played by Joel Edgerton, who's an orc. It takes place in this world where, at some point, fantasy creatures, like, seeped in and have been integrated with, um, you know, regular humans... And um, it is, like, some of the laziest, dumbest world-building possible. It has so many, like, of the dullest things. Of, like, oh, what would happen if, like, orcs were in East L.A.? It's like, oh, they have gangs. And something they're a part of that. It's, like, so dull and lazy and annoying. It just feels like one of these things that Netflix poured so much money into. And it's like, oh, for what? This, like, really dull, uninteresting, bad sort of fantasy action movie that doesn't even look that great. And despite the best efforts of Will Smith, and particularly Joe Ledgerton, uh just doesn't have any like real drama or palpability to the story. It's just uh, a real waste of time and money, and, you know, they kept promising a sequel. I hope that never fucking happens.
1: Okay, well, I haven't seen Glorious. Obviously, you said it just recently came out, and to be 100% honest with you, I wasn't even really aware of it. But it sounds kind of like something that might be completely up my alley, uh, given the Lovecraftian of it all and all that. That's kind of my, my shit. And uh, also at that running time, I mean... It's worth a watch. Fuck it.
0: And a a Lovecraftian creature voiced by J.K. Simmons, I'm sure. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, he's amazing. Bright. um, It's funny. When I first saw Bright, I was a little bit more uh, positive on it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know what? This is kind of cool. Like, all right. I like the creature design and stuff like that. Like, ah, yeah, some of the action bits are real fun and blah, blah. I mean, we even had a discussion about it, I believe. Yeah. And then I've gone back and tried to rewatch it and there's still certain parts about it like particularly Joel Edgerton and uh, even Edgar Ramirez is pretty good in it but you know what it is it's the David Ayer of it all man and of course Max Landis, fuck him but David Ayer, it's like he wants so bad to make these groundbreaking like sort of inner city gangster movies and they rarely work. Like Watch The Tax Collector. Oh, my God, it's bad. I mean, it's his fascination with this world, which is fine, but it, you can't do it, man. Like, you can't do it right. It doesn't work. And uh, Bright, unfortunately, just sort of became that type of movie. Just Instead of that, they're Latino gangs, they're orcs. Or instead of you know rich white people, they're elves. Or instead of, like you're like, fuck off. It's just lazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially not to mention that, like, they have sort of, like, the the mixture of that, where there are, like, occasional, like, Latino gang guys next to the orcs. And it's just like, oh, yeah, man, um, you know, at least, you know, orcs weren't there at the Alamo or whatever bullshit. That fucking (laughs) stupid line that's in the middle of it, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what about your choices, Adam?
1: All right, man. So for my bad, I have a movie that is fueled by Ego and Id. I mean, it is just unbelievable... That this movie was not only greenlit, produced with a healthy budget, uh, certain actors signed on for it, and there's even talks of a sequel. Now, um, I have the Vin Diesel written starring The Last Witch Hunter based on his d character. It's just so fucking bland and run-of-the-mill bullshit fantasy, you know, eternal warrior bullshit. Other than, you know, the first Highlander, I'd say, for the most part. But anytime time you've seen it recently, like even in that Charlie's Theron Netflix one that came out that was like half of a good movie. Like, it's just, it's a conceit that is so tired and dumb and dull and old. It, it's like Vin Diesel fucking ejaculating on screen. Like, look, i all fucking awesome. I don't get any movie made. Family. It's just, I just can't. Nah, miss me with that fucking last winch under bullshit. And for my good, it's also another loose like fantasy one, but it almost relates to what I talked about uh, at the top of the show, where I was call like Streets of Fire fa- urban fantasy and stuff. And I think this one fits right in there too. Maybe even, it's a very stripped down, but it definitely takes place in an alternate sort of world. Uh, but it's still New York. I, I actually have Walter Hill's The Warriors which I do consider urban fantasy, just with the all the different gangs and the looks of them and just sort of the plight of the whole movie and just the you know, the, the idea that the disc jockey on the radio knows every one of their moves and it follows it along and there's this sort of gang hierarchy and the, you know, the can you dig it and the baseball furies and all that. Like, it's just, it's this alternate New York um, and it's just so fun and dirty and gross and uh, I absolutely recommend watching just the normal version not the director's cut but even then though it's a great fucking movie i love this movie to the point i have a poster signed by james remar who played ajax in it anytime the warriors is on i'll watch it and also one of the best video games based on a movie adaptations ever was put off of the warriors still super fun you can even buy it to this day on modern consoles and play it the warriors is just solid
0: i have not seen the last witch hunter um out of just i I didn't really give much of a shit to see it. Um I haven't heard great things even from Vin Diesel Paul, just in general about it. Um, but then I mean I've seen definitely the Warriors for sure. And I guess it does definitely fit in terms of like it's less about like oh a fantastical creature coming into our world or a human encountering a fantastical creature. As much as just like a fantastical version of um, you know, a city that we know in general. And I do agree that I think it works on that level, especially with the different gangs and stuff like the disc jockey who's giving us all the different like, updates about, like, where the Warriors are and all that. I think that there's a lot of, like, great elements that, like, really builds the world of the Warriors quite well. Uh, and I would definitely second, uh, do not watch the director's cut version. Because what Adam failed to mention is in that version, there's a lot of sequences in which uh, they'll transition from one scene to the other via bad, circle like, 2005-era digital animation of, like, a comic book. Because that was originally Walter Hill's designs that he wanted to make, like, those transitional elements happen. And maybe if he had done it in 1979, that would have been kind of interesting and different. Uh, But in context of, like, how it's executed in that director's cut, it looks like garbage.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fucking rough, dude. It's pretty fucking bad.
0: It takes you so out of the movie, which is such a fun movie to get immersed in. It's just like, oh, what the fuck is this? Why is this here? But uh, let's go ahead and do our, uh, you know, repeat our titles for everybody out there in case you uh, might have missed them, just so if you're curious. Uh, For my good pick, I had Glorious, and for my bad pick, I had Bright.
1: For my good pick, I had The Warriors, and for my bad pick, I had The Last Witch Hunter.
0: And we'll be doing our exit here, um, uh, but stay tuned for the end of the show. Where we'll be doing our picking for next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music use for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water for more of his great stuff. And uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to you know pick individual movies we cover or topics we even do, like urban fantasy. You all made sure that we got that as our topic to cover for this week, so thank you very much for that. And also, um, you know, get to listen to bonus podcasts, like around this time, you'll be able to hear our bonus media discussion episode all about the Phantom of the Opera 25th anniversary recording at Royal Albert Hall, which will be recording is a, a interesting, bizarre, rambling mess of a, an episode. That's really interesting to listen to.
1: Yeah, dude. But man, it was fun. It, it was super fun. It was something that you know I'm, I'm f- for in a weird way, uh, just maybe surprising to a lot of people. Super passionate about the Phantom of the Opera, and especially the musical version. And uh, really uh, hate uh, Love Never Dies. Nice, so.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a bonus Double-Edged Devil double Bill episode, basically, because we cover both the original movie and the sequel a bit more than we even anticipated we would do with that. Um, but you'll be able to hear all of that if you just contribute the $1 a month and become a patron, which we would appreciate. But you can also find us uh, on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, and you can also send us feedback either there or at our email address, double bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me find me on twitter and letterboxes at not the who's tommy and i also do some writing at Thomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com and the week this episode's going up i will be at dragon con i've promoted this for the last couple episodes but i want to go ahead and just run down briefly my dragon con 2022 panel schedule as of right now it's completed Uh, you might want to check your dragon con apps to be absolutely sure You'll be able to find my name and be able to see all the panels I'm doing. But as of right now, that schedule includes on Thursday, September 1st at 7 p.m., I'll be doing a Let's Talk About Godzilla panel over at the Piedmont in the Hyatt Hotel. Um, On Friday, September 2nd at 2.30 p.m., I'll be doing a panel about Severance of Two Minds about the TV show on Apple TV Plus over at the Marriott uh, M302. M three zero three, And then Friday at 4 p.m. I'll be doing my panel about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch at the West in Peachtree 1-2, which the rest of these will also be at that particular location over there on the horror track, uh, including Saturday, September 3rd at 1 p.m., what we do in the Shadows panel. Uh, Saturday, September 3rd at 7 p.m., David Lynch, Lost Highways and Dark Secrets. Uh, Saturday, September 3rd at 8.30 p.m., the Candyman 30th Anniversary Panel. And finally, Sunday, September 4th at 4 p.m., The Thing 40th Anniversary Panel, which I'll be moderating. So uh, that's uh, my schedule. If you're in the downtown Atlanta area over Labor Day weekend, find me at those places. You know, come say hi. I'd love to meet a fan of the show.
1: Yeah, that'd be pretty cool for any of you who are actually there uh i'm uh not gonna be there adam will not be
0: there no well we we really tried to get adam but his asking price was too much a 12 inch subway
1: sandwich we couldn't allow it yep can't do it baby you could find me On Instagram at Atom or Atom, A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. You can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson, S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N.
0: And uh, for more of us, please uh, follow and subscribe on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And uh, you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for like 200 episodes before we join Talk Film Society. And everything else, if you can't support us monetarily through the Patreon, that's cool. Money can be tight. The totally free way to help us out is to simply rate, review, or share the show around because that gets us more visibility out there.
1: Yeah, it's super easy to do.
0: And free. It's so easy Adam could do it. And sometimes he does. Occasionally. Occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) But now Adam... It's time we did our picking, which we should note uh, because of my Dragon Con, you also have some business to attend to over the course of the Labor Day holiday. Uh, we won't be having a regularly scheduled episode next week, uh, you know, just because schedules didn't really work out that well. So what we'll be doing is we'll still have something out there for all of you on uh, that week. You know, the, the day after Labor Day, uh, where we'll be releasing an episode from behind the paywall from our Patreon, uh, which will be our top 10 robots and movies and TV which we did last year, we had a lot of fun with, and, you know, gives you a bit of a taste of the Patreon, so uh, maybe it'll entice some people to, you know, pay that dollar and get uh, all sorts of other bonus content very similar to that one.
1: Yeah, that was a super fun one, too. We nerded out pretty bad over uh, the rules on that one, but it it came together really nice.
0: Yes, yes. So you'll be able to hear that next week, but, you know, we'll still be doing picking, at least for the following week's episode on that, um, which we'll be keeping, you know, the rotation thing intact. So we'll be another situation where I have the good picks and him has the bad for this just to keep our usual rotation going as we are want to do. Um, and it's a very interesting episode for next time because I will be talking about um, an actress's career this time. Uh, Miss Viola Davis, who is getting a big movie with the Woman King coming out, uh, which if you've seen those trailers, it looks pretty fucking dope. I'm pretty excited about that one, honestly.
1: I'm interested. I don't know what it's going to be. So I'm very curious.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm more curious because I, I've also seen Gina Prince-Blythewood who did that, who did do the old garden movie referenced earlier, but also like Love and Basketball and a few other like pretty fun movies. So I'm curious to see her get like a big budget sort of like historical action piece with this one. And of course, I love Viola Davis. Great actress. She's fucking great, dude. She's awesome. Very committed and uh, worthy of a double-edged double bill for sure. And as I mentioned, I have the two good, you have the two bad for that episode about her. And keep in mind uh, that when we do this every week at the end of the episode, Adam and I each assign our two picks, whether good or bad, a number between 1 and 10. And so the other one picks a number between 1 and 10, and whatever that's closest to gets gets us our good and our bad feature. So, for example, for my two good picks, Adam will pick a number and be like, oh, I'm going to pick number 7 or whatever. And thus, I'm like, oh, that's closest to number 8 which at that spot is blank movie. And uh, thus that would be the good pick and then vice versa for the bad one. But keep in mind, we have the Godfather rule, which Adam and I, since May, have had a V2 in our back pocket. We both haven't used ours yet. But if we hear, you know, uh, we pick that number and the other guy's like, oh, hey, uh, that's going to mean we'll do uh, this particular movie at this particular number. The other person, if they choose to be like, you know what? I don't want to cover that movie. They can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Thus, that choice is gone, and we have to go with whatever other choice is there and available. But I'm curious, Adam, yeah. about your bad picks. and Yeah! Also I'm sure you're curious about my good. So yeah. go ahead. For my good, please pick a number between 1 and 10.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with number 6.
0: Okay. At number 7, I have a very underappreciated great movie from a great director that involves, uh, you know... Viola Davis and a great supporting cast like such a huge sprawling ensemble cast uh that's really tremendous and I wish got a lot more love when it came out I have Steve McQueen's Widows
1: I you know that's a solid ass movie I watched that based on your recommendation or else I probably would have never watched it to be 100% fair uh and I think that might be part of the problem like with the marketing and everything but that is a solid fucking movie I will not sir be taking the
0: cannoli. Well, uh, my other choice at number two, I have the movie that won her an Academy Award. I have uh, Denzel Washington's fences. I haven't seen a uh, very good movie. I would say uh, she won a supporting actress Oscar, mainly based on her ability to produce a lot of snot. She cried yeah, a lot that, in that movie. She's got a yeah. lot of snot dripping down, but goddamn, that's Academy Award worthy snot. She's a good crier. Very good crier. As we'll, I'm sure see in our films, but Adam, your two bad choices. Very yeah. curious where this will go. So I'm going to go ahead and go. you know on the opposite end of things. We're going to go number three.
1: All right, I picked one that huge cast got some Oscar buzz when it came out and everything. I've never seen this, but I know that like post Oscars, like just the reception, consensually was like this isn't actually really isn't fucking good. Uh, so I have the movie extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh, yeah.
0: This is one I only am aware of because it got surprise Oscar nominations, despite terrible critical reception. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not taking the canola because I'm, I'm just curious to see what this is.
1: Good, because so am I. Yes. And then uh, for my alternate, I had, I think, which is probably the most obvious choice, uh, which I'm kind of glad we didn't get. But I have Suicide Squad.
0: Oh, good God. Thank God. Oh,
1: Not the Suicide
0: Squad. Oh, right. Yes, of Suicide course. Suicide Squad. Because that's a that would have been a potential good choice of mine. With Viola Davis in it. Yes, 100%. Versus, yeah, without a definitive article, Suicide Squad. I just hate that, that. Movies with such similar titles and such similar premises and the only difference is of... Uh...
1: Or like, The First Purge. Fuck you.
0: Right. Yeah, a similar situation there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, extremely, loud, extremely Loud and Incredibly Close and Widows. Very curious to talk about that double feature in two weeks. But until then, everybody... You know, we hope your end of summer is full of joy and wonder and hell.
1: Yeah. Liam Neeson has a striped suit.